0: Well, good morning again. If we've not met yet, my name is Mitchell Carter. I'm the pastor here at Trinity. And as always, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to proclaim God's word to you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them to 1 Peter chapter 5? We're going to begin this morning by looking at those last three verses of 1 Peter 5. For those who have not been with us, we began a series preaching through 1 Peter in. January and have worked our way through this letter over the last six months. This is what First Peter five twelve through fourteen says. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. What I want you to notice is how Peter describes this letter that he has written to them. He says in verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. All that I have written, he says, is the true grace of God. All that I have commanded you and encourage you with. None of this is fluff. None of this is my own opinion or thought. This is the grace of God to you. Don't turn to a different way. Don't accept a different gospel that cuts out the suffering or cuts out the call to holiness. Don't start cutting out the parts that you don't like. This letter is arming you for battle against your sin and for building you up for hope in the life to come. And so he says, stand firm in this grace. And one of the ways for us to stand firm in the grace of God is to know it. That's why we've been going through this letter for the past six months. That's why I've encouraged you to read through it as much as you can throughout this time. So as we close our time in this letter as a church today, I want to read the whole letter to you and then say some final words about God's message to us in 1 Peter. And while this isn't our normal practice to read all the way through a book of the Bible on a Sunday morning, it's pretty normal in the history of the church. Uh, In all likelihood, when Sylvanus showed up carrying this letter, he read it straight through to the congregation as they gathered to worship. Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Early in 1 Peter, Peter calls the Word of God pure spiritual milk. And just like newborn infants, if we are to grow, we need to long for and fill ourselves up with that pure milk of God's Word. So we're going to read God's Word and hopefully hear and be reminded of some of the themes that we've seen throughout our time in 1 Peter. If you have your Bible with you, it would help to follow along as we read it. If you don't have your Bible with you, the words for the letter are going to be up on the screen and you can follow along there. But as we listen to this, I want you to remember that God has just told us to stand firm in this grace. So as we read it, you should be asking yourself, am I? Does this characterize my life? Are these truths about Jesus and what He has done the things that shape my identity and my hope? And if the answer is no, as it is to some extent for all of us, then pray that you would stand firm in this grace of God. Ask God for His help. So before we read this letter, we're going to ask God for His help in reading it. Would you all pray with me? Merciful Father, as we read Your Holy Word, I ask that You would give us Your Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know Your Son, Jesus Christ, better. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills, so that we may hear Your Word and believe it. Give us attentiveness and humility and longing as we hear Your Word. Speak holy spirit your people are listening amen this is first peter beginning in chapter 1 verse 1 peter an apostle of jesus christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia according to the foreknowledge of god the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to jesus christ "...it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you or her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days... For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared." With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the Gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, This is the word of the Lord. There was a lot there. There's a reason that it's taken us six months to work our way through all of that letter. And we're not going to address every single thing I just read. If you have questions about what we just read, especially if you haven't been here, you can always go back and listen to those previous sermons on our website. But I did mention that I want us to look at a few of the major themes that run through 1 Peter and be reminded of them as we leave this letter as a church and move on to this series on the Psalms. So there are four things that I want us to remember in this letter. First, remember who you are. Second, remember what God has called you to. Third, remember that you are not alone. And then fourth, Remember that the suffering is only for a little while. First, remember who you are. Peter tells us in that very first verse that we are elect exiles. With respect to the world, you are an exile, a sojourner, an alien in this world. Though you are in the world, your citizenship, if you're a Christian, is not of the world. You do not belong to the patterns of this world, and sometimes that sense of belonging is a that sense of not belonging can be acute it often results in suffering of different kinds peter talks about the hostility that we will feel from the culture around us you'll get sideways glances false assumptions and accusations mocking you may even have your property taken away or be pushed out of a job because you're a christian God tells us, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. For you as a Christian, this suffering is normal. You are in exile. But there's another side to our identity. With respect to God, you are elect, chosen, beloved. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You may be from Tennessee or California or India or Nigeria, but your citizenship is in heaven. You've been made into God's children. You've been united to Jesus. So everything that is His is yours. And you've been given His Holy Spirit to sanctify you and to comfort you. And even though you are suffering now, part of your election is that you have been given an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Brothers and sisters, remember that you are elect exiles in this world. We also need to remember what God has called us to. Because of our identity, because we are children of God, God calls us to be obedient children. He says, "Do not be conformed to your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." Notice this is dependent upon that identity that we just talked about. Don't be conformed to the world, to your former ignorance, to the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers. That's not who you are anymore. You have died to the world. You are an alien, an exile here. Don't act like you belong. Instead, act like a citizen of heaven, like you are a child of your Father who is holy. This holy living is also very much tied to Jesus. Chapter 2 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And this is where Peter really draws together the two themes of holiness and suffering. It's actually in your suffering that your holiness is required and strengthens and shines forth to the world. It's in the midst of a hostile world that you are called to be holy. Holy. Chapter two, verse 12 or verse 11 says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul." This is a call to holiness, to wage war on your sin. As John Owen says, "Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you." But look at the context of that holiness. Look with me at verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're so tempted to think that holiness happens when we can finally calm down and sit and meditate on Scripture without any distractions. But Peter says it's actually in the midst of your suffering that your holiness is the most necessary and that you have the most opportunity for it. This is exactly what Jesus did. Just after we're told to follow in his steps, Peter says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew that it was better to suffer than to sin. And He's calling us to make that same choice day in and day out. Brothers and sisters, remember what God has called you to. Thirdly, remember that you are not alone. When you hear that you're an exile and a stranger in this world, it can be very isolating. But God doesn't tell us that we have to put up with being all alone until Jesus comes back. Instead, He has given us a home, a family here on earth. He has given us the church. This is what He says in chapter 2. As you come to Him, that's Jesus, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, but in the sight of God precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. In this household of God, we are called to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In the world, we feel like strangers. But here, we have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble minds. One commentator says, The social alienation that the Christian experiences from society is to be remedied by that genuine fellowship found within the community of believers. And this is especially true in the midst of your suffering. You should certainly cast your anxieties on God, because He cares for you. But you have brothers and sisters in the church who care for you as well. We are called to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, to serve one another and show hospitality to one another. All of these are especially vital for us when we are suffering. So let us strive to be the church to one another. Let us be that shelter and sanctuary for each other in a hostile and hard world. Brothers and sisters, remember that you are not alone. God has given you a family in the church. And then finally, remember that your suffering is only for a little while. Peter throughout this letter has made reference to time. He follows the pattern of the New Testament by marking time, not by minutes and hours and days, but marking time by Jesus. There are three times, according to Peter. There's the time before the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. There's the time we are in now, which is after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And then there's the last time, the return of Christ. Peter calls this the last day. Or the last time, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the day of visitation, among other things. And the reason he brings up these references to time throughout this letter is that he wants us to know what time we are living in. God wants you to know that this time of exile, this time of suffering, this time of fighting to resist the devil is only a little while. Christ has given you everything you need in the here and now to cling to Him and to grow in Him. But it's obvious that it is hard to do those things in this hostile world when we still fight to abstain from the passions of the flesh. But a day is quickly coming when you will not have to have that fight anymore. You will not be an exile, only elect and beloved. You won't be tempted to live as the Gentiles do, but will have a pure faith and a purified soul. You will taste and see the goodness of the Lord without any sin to distract and deceive you. And you will be freed from the suffering that accompanies life in this world. So as we close, hear these promises from God and remember the hope that you have in Jesus. though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Would you all pray with me? Father, we are so weak and feeble and needy. It's such a relief that in this letter you compare us to newborn infants. We need you every hour and every day. And so we pray that you would give us everything we need for life and godliness. That all that you have called us to in this letter, that we would do not by our own power, but in the strength that you supply, in the strength of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would trust in you and we would follow after you and that we would live with hope of the life to come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.